0: If you got your Bibles, uh, we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we're going to try to cover verses 5 through 17 this morning. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and verses 5 through 17. Uh, The title of our lesson this morning is No Other Foundation. No other, drop that down a little bit, No Other Foundation. Let's, let's look first, before we, we won't cover all the verses at, at the very beginning, let's look first at verses 5 through 9. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. Uh, Paul is continuing to write in his letter, and he says this, What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each one will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. Now, in today's text, Paul is going to teach us something about God and about human leadership in the church. Um, If you're like me, I've been in church from probably day one Um, I've been in Baptist churches, I've been in Pentecostal churches, I've been in churches that are run by congregational government, I've been in churches that are not run by congregational government. There's all kind of ways of of running a church. And Paul is going to get to the very root of the issue today. He's going to tell us how churches ought to be uh, run. So he's going to teach us something about God and about human leadership. And in doing so, again, hopefully we'll learn something about the church and, and our part in it. So let's just kind of start at the beginning, and we're going to walk down through it uh, very simply and watch, it, watch some of the stuff that Paul says. So first, Paul says this. What is Apollos and what is Paul? Now, keep in mind, the whole problem here is the, the church at Corinth, is, is, is they're broken up. Um, there's dissension in the church. Some people are lining up behind Paul, and some people are lining up behind Apollos, and some people are lining up behind Peter. And, and so there's different factions in the church. And, and the Bible says very clearly, a house divided against itself, what? It can't stand. I mean, it's, this church is headed for disaster. So Paul is trying to clean this up. He's trying to say, look, guys, you, you got it all wrong, lining up behind men. And so this is part of his argument to say you need to get things straightened out. So he first says, what is Apollos and what is Paul? And, and the word he uses there is, is a very unique word. And he has servants. He said, they're servants. Now, let's stop right there. You know, one of the things that I've seen in church down throughout the years, and, and, and in the Christian community as well, is we have a tendency to idolize our leaders. Do we not? You know, the, the fact is, is that when we come, I've always said this, when we, everybody sitting here this morning, when you come to church, you, you basically put on a mask. You know, how are you? Man, I'm great. Everything can be falling apart in your life. You'll never say that. I'm doing great, man. Everything's great, and it, it, it's, it's absolute chaos. Nobody will say that, and, and nobody tends, we just tend to, we come up, and we look around at everybody, and we think, man, y'all, I thought for years, everybody else had it going on, and I was the only one screwed up. I thought everybody else was just great. I wish I could be like them. Well, I'd find out after a while, they're not so great. They got their own problems. Well, that's, we know now that's true for, for everybody, but we have really have a tendency to idolize our leaders, our pastors, our our elders, our teachers—we think, boy, they are just—they really got it, got it going on. Um, so Paul wants us to reset our thinking here, and so he says, "What are they? What are your leaders? What are these great men that you think are so great, Apollos and Paul?" And he uses the word servant. Now that word in the Greek is literally table waiters. That's what that word means. It means to wait tables. So he says, you, you think Paul is great? He's a, he's a table waiter. You think Apollos is something just so great? He's a, he's a table waiter. So he wants us to see that our leaders, they're not honored guests in the church. They're not the owner of the house. They're, they're, they're not even the, the one cooking the food. They are literally, he's saying, they are table uh, waiters. In other words, what Paul wants us to do is when we look at men... Uh, and even women in the church that we consider leaders, he wants us to adjust our thinking. And he wants us to be careful that we don't elevate them, um, any pastor or teacher or elder, above above and beyond what they are. We are to see them for what they really are, and that is servants. They are are, their table waiters. And look what he says. They are servants through whom you believe. Now, the key word there is through. You see, you may have come to faith under Pastor Henry. You may have grown in the faith under a particular teacher or leader. But, the, but what brought you to faith and what grows you to faith does not reside in that person. It just flows through them. Okay? Let me say that again. What brought you to faith is not that person. It's not, there's nothing in them that brought you to faith or grows you, it's a power that flows through them. It's kind of like water pipes in your house, right? We've got pipes, all got pipes in our house, and we can be thankful for those pipes, but isn't it the water that's important? When I go to a restaurant, I can be thankful for good service, but I don't go to the restaurant for good service. I go to the restaurant for the food. You see, that's what he wants us to see, is these, these, these leaders that you idolize so much, they're table waiters. They're, they're serving the food, and you're, you're idolizing them? Do you see how insane that is? Do you see how your thinking is, is all, uh, is all out, out of kilter? That's what he's saying here today. Paul and Apollos, in any man or woman, they are not saviors. They're not life givers. They're, they're not the Holy Spirit. They're not God. They're not the source of the power that's working in your life. They're table waiters. Literally, table waiters. And we'll talk about that a little more as we move through. And what we have to realize is the, the faith that happens in this body and in every other body, um, it, it's when the food of God's Word is served, it, it, they're just serving it. Everybody with me? They're not originating anything. They're, they're not originating something and giving it to you so you can look at them and say, Wow. I mean, they go to the kitchen and get it from God, and they bring it to your table... Isn't it kind of crazy to look at them and say, wow, you're the, you, you supplied me with this food. No, he just brought it to you. He just served. So Paul is trying to get us in the church to change our way of thinking and not to elevate our uh, leaders. Let's move on. He says this, who, are, who is Paul and who is Apollos? Servants through whom you believed. Table waiters who brought you the food, that's what he's saying, um, as the Lord assigned to each. Now this is a little bit, this is a little bit hard to figure out. Read that again. It says, Who are they? They are servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. Now, I did a lot of study on this verse. It's hard to figure out exactly what Paul is saying. In other words, is he saying that the Lord assigned their gifts to them? Or is he, is he saying he assigned the people people, people. people that would grow and come to faith under them. you see that? It's hard to tell what he's he's referring to. But can I tell you, it doesn't really matter because the Lord assigns both. You see, the fact is, every pastor and every teacher in a church is different. You know, some some pastors and teachers may be more evangelistic. You you may find another pastor or teacher who's more scholarly. You may find another pastor or teacher who maybe their ministry is more encouraging. But, the, but in the end, can I tell you, God assigns that person those differences. Paul says in Corinthians, what do you have that you didn't receive? In other words, if you've got a gift, if you've got a talent, that was freely given to you. You didn't earn it. It, it, was, it was given to you. So if there's one pastor who's more scholarly, or more, one pastor who's more of an encourager, or another pastor who's more evangelistic, God has assigned uh, those differences. First Corinthians 4-7 Paul says, who makes you differ from one another? The answer to that of course is is God. In the same way, there are differences in each person's ministry and how people respond to that minister. You know, you, you may look over there and see a, a, a teacher or a pastor or, or, or somebody and, say, and people are just flocking to him. And over here you may see a teacher and maybe he's got 20-25 people that attend his class. And you may say, well that does that make that guy a better or any more powerful or any more? No. The Bible says the Lord has assigned that. He's in control of that. So, so it doesn't matter whether he's talking about a person's gifts or the people. The fact is the Lord assigns even those differences. Because like we said earlier, if you think the difference, if that guy's got 50 people coming to faith under him and this guy's got 20 people coming to faith under him, if you think the difference in people coming to faith is that person's, preaching or that person's teaching, you don't know the Holy Spirit. What does he say? Who gives the growth? God gives the growth. One waters, one plants, God gives the growth. God is assigning faith. God is growing faith. He's the one uh, doing all that. We're just table waiters delivering the food. So we should never think that a particular pastor or teacher is responsible for your, growth, your, your, your birth in the faith or even your growth in the faith. It, the, the responsibility does not go to a man. They are table waiters. They're just serving you the food that God has, 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 has mixed up for you. They're just bringing it to you, right? And then your life, your growth uh, is, is all God's doing. Let's move on. Verse 6, Paul says this, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Again, he's making the exact same point here with different words. Now, don't miss what Paul is doing here, because this not only applies to the church at Corinth, it applies directly to the church here at River of Life. He's saying God gives the growth. He's saying the decisive cause of faith in a church, in a body, in a person's life, the life of the plant, the growth of the plant, It's not planting and watering. Yes, we have a responsibility to plant. Yes, we have a responsibility to water. But God is always the decisive force in the life of any believer. He's the one that's giving uh, the growth. And I want you to see, do you understand how Paul's emphasis here is always falling on God? God does this. God does that. Those men are just table waiters. They're just servants. God is the one in control. God is the one giving The growth. But the situation in Corinth was the exact opposite. Instead of putting the emphasis on God, they were putting the emphasis on who? On men and women. They were putting the emphasis, I line up behind this person. I line up behind that person. And Paul says, you are 180 degrees off off base. You see, by now in their life, they should have been governed and controlled by mature spiritual thinking but they're not. They're, they're controlled uh, by natural thinking. They should have been a God-centric church, but instead they were a man-centric church. And we have to be very, very... Uh, pa- Pastor Henry will uh, 100, agree 100% with what I'm about to say. If you, are a, if you come to this church for Pastor Henry, if that's why you come, one day Pastor Henry will be gone. And guess what? You'll probably be gone. You'll go look for another man that you can idolize. You'll look for another man that you can elevate. But if you come to this church for God, if this is a God-centric church, if God is centered in your life, then Pastor Henry can move on and we can replace him and you just keep moving on. And he knows that. He want, By the way, he wants that. That's what we want as, as, a, as a pastor and as, as elders of this church. We want this church to be God-centric, not man-centric. Because, listen, I want this church to be strong for my children and my grandchildren. And the only way that's going to happen is if we're not man-centered, we're God-centered. And that's what Paul is saying uh, right here. So you've got a bunch of people in this church that are immature. They're controlled by natural thinking. They're operating the church on the natural philosophies of the world. They're man-centered and not God-centered. Now, I want to tell you, if you go around churches today... Uh, around not just in the United States but around the world this is still the number one problem that churches have today is they continue to operate in a way that's man-centered and not god-centered they they operate themselves you know they you come out of the world and you've got people that have run businesses you've got people that have run organizations maybe that may might be a banker or a businessman or a a county commissioner, or whatever they may be, right? And you bring them into the church, and they think, well, that worked in my business, I'll do it here. That worked in that organization, we'll do it here. And so what we try to do is we try to run the church like it's a business or a social club or some kind of organization. Another problem we have and a mistake we made is we live in a democracy... So we think, okay, well, democracy is the best way to, to run a country. Therefore, we'll run the church that way. Now, let me tell you, democracy is the best form of government that we know. But it is incredibly flawed. Okay? In fact, democracy will always lead to sectarianism. And if you don't believe that, just look at American politics. Sectarian, sectarianism means you li- one person lines up behind this man, and everybody else lines up behind this man, and some, isn't that what democracy is all about? We, we divide up and line up behind different people, and then that's democracy, okay? Now, again, it's the best form of government we got going in the world, but can I tell you, the world may function that way, but you don't ever bring that into the church. The church doesn't operate like a business. The church doesn't operate like an organization. The church doesn't operate like a, uh, like a democracy. The church, folks, is a monarchy. If you don't want a monarchy is, there is a king, and he rules. And the church is a monarchy ruled by King Jesus, not by Pastor Henry. This church, the head of this church, is Jesus Christ. Okay, Now, he has put certain men in place. He's put pastors and elders and people and teachers in place to kind of build up the church and help run the church. But the fact is, he is the head of this church. And if we understand that, then you can move elders out and other elders in. You can move pastors out and other pastors in, and this church will just keep rolling along for years and years and years to come. But we have to be a God-centric church, not a man-centric church. Let's look at verse 7. He goes on. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, that's a pretty amazing statement. I I want to touch on this for just a second. Look what he says. He says, Paul and Apollos are nothing. Isn't that what he says? They're not anything. The the, the synonym for not anything is, if you're not anything, you're nothing. He says, they're nothing. Now, the reason I say that's amazing is because there's other verses that say the exact opposite of that. Uh, uh, For example, look at 1 Timothy 5.17. It says this, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. Okay, well now, wait a minute, Paul. <laughs> Which is it? Are they nothing, or are they worthy of, of double honor? Uh, look at First Thessalonians 5.13. Uh, Paul again is writing, he says, We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them, what? very highly in love because of their work. Now again, I ask the question, well, which is it, Paul? Make up your mind. Are they nothing or are they to be esteemed very highly? Are they worthy of double honor? It almost seems like it's opposite. So I always ask the question, which is it? Are they nothing or are they to be esteemed? Well, can I tell you, it's both. And in fact, when you really think about this is the beauty of, of a God centered life and a God centered church. You see, the nothingness of Paul and Apollos is really what makes them worthy of honor. You see, in the world, the more you promote yourself, it seems like the louder you are, and the more you promote yourself, the higher you're esteemed. Sometimes I'll look, sometimes it's just so foolish to me. I'll get on the news and I'll see people are famous for. Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. They have no talent. They've never done anything, and they're famous because they've promoted themselves. I don't even know how it works anymore. I can't figure it out. You know, we used to esteem people for doing something. Now we just esteem people for absolutely no reason. It seems like the world is upside down. But in the church, it works the exact opposite. It's almost like the lower you go, the more humility you exhibit, the more you are... Esteemed, it's, it's almost like the exact opposite. Honor in the church is bestowed in direct proportion to the way a person exalts God and humbles themselves. Right? Mark 10, 44, look what Jesus said. He said this, And whoever would be first among you, what? Must be servant of all. See, when we find somebody in the church that, that basically says, I'll serve, I'll be a table waiter. Right? Then God says that person is to be esteemed. That person is to be honored. That person to be, is to be double honored, worthy of double honor, because they're a servant. They're willing to give their time, be a table waiter, bring my food to the people, honor that man, honor that woman. It's the exact opposite that it is out in the world, right? In fact, don't you, have you ever seen a person, even in the church, that always wants to be seen? You know what I'm talking about? They're always the first one. I don't know. You've seen people like that. We always. They always want to be seen. You know, they, they're up there getting seen, and we're over there thinking, you know, we don't honor those kind of people. We honor the people that want to serve. We honor the people that want to humble themselves and, and, and wait on the tables in, in the church. Um, I'm, listen, I've said this before. I think, I'm going to talk to Pastor Henry about this. I think one day we need to have a service. And we need to call out some people that don't ever get called out. I really do. I think there's people in this church that don't get recognition that are worthy of double honor. I, I can tell you one day we're going to stand before God, and there, there's going to be all these pastors and elders and teachers, and, and we're going to be thinking, boy, he's fixing to call my name, and he's going to call some little old lady nobody's ever heard of. <laughs> Am I right? Am I right? Years ago, when I was a kid, I went to St. Mark's Baptist Church, and um, this, this lady, this little red-haired lady, what was her name, Miss Causey, she taught me in Sunday school. I was probably, I don't know, what, eight, nine, ten, I wasn't very old, and I remember we it was upstairs in this little room, and there was a bunch of us boys, you you know, get a bunch of ten-year-old boys together, right, and try to teach them, and I remember she taught us, and we wouldn't pay attention, and, and she would try, it was like corralling cats, right? Well, then... Eventually, years and years and years go by, and um, I was at a funeral one day, and I ran into her son, and um, she had died. She had, she had been dead a few years, and I was talking to him, and I said, yeah, I remember your mom teaching me Sunday school when I was like about eight years old. Do you know that woman taught Sunday school for 45 years? 45 years. And I completely forgot about her. But folks, God don't forget God don't forget that at all. That woman told for 45 years. You telling me that he don't call her out in front of Franklin Graham's? And I'm telling you, there's people like that that make up the church. Those are the people that are worthy of double honor. They're serving God. They're doing it for him. They're not doing it to be elevated and lifted up or any, any reason whatsoever. So I'm going to talk to Pastor Henry about that. Wouldn't it be cool one day just to start calling people out and and honoring them. I just think that would be, would be... Anyway, I don't know how I got off on that. But anyway, you get the point, right? That honor is bestowed not the way the world bestows honor, but the exact opposite. Are you willing to be a servant? Are you willing to... Nobody knows you're making those calls. Nobody knows that you're all those things you're doing... You don't care, because you're doing it for Him. You're not doing it to be, to be recognized. Paul goes on, 1 Corinthians 3, 8. He who plants and he who waters are... One. Now, what does he mean? Well, he means one in purpose. All the pastors and the teachers and the elders in Corinth and all the pastors and teachers and elders here at River of Life should be one in purpose. And what is that purpose? That purpose is to build people's faith and to make much of Jesus Christ. That's your purpose. Build people's faith and make much of Jesus Christ. How ironic is it that the very thing that God... All the pastors and teachers that God raises up in a, in a uh, body, how ironic is it that people take what God intended to be a, a means of unity and make it into a means of division? Isn't that ironic? That, I mean, God says, I want you all all to be unified. All you teachers, all you elders, I want you to be unified in building people's faith and and making much of God. And we take what God means to be a unifying thing and we make it into a means of division by lining up behind uh, different teachers. He goes on and says this, He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. Now, I want you to listen to me very carefully here, because there's some really good lessons here today. Just as the, listen, let's be honest. You know, one thing that I love about the Bible, human nature doesn't change. We think that people in the first century were different from us, but they're not. We may have different technology, we may have different conveniences, we may have a lot of differences, but human nature is always exactly the same. They weren't different types of people. They struggled with the same things that we did. They noticed the same things that we did. You see, one of the things that they noticed in their church is they looked at Paul and they said, Well, Paul's got some good qualities, but boy, he's really weak in other things. And then another group would look at Apollos and say, well, that Apollos, I've never heard a better speaker than that guy. He is an excellent speaker, but he's got some weaknesses in these things. And other people would say, well, what about Peter? See, they would, and listen, that's, you can't help that, right? You can't help but look at different teachers, different pastors, different ministers and recognize that they have differences, they have different strengths, right? You, you can't help that. For example, you'll see differences in the way they work. You'll see uh, differences in the way they conduct themselves or carry themselves. You'll see differences in the way they interact with people. You may, you know, you watch Pastor Henry and he's just walking around and he sees somebody shaking their hand. He and he's never met anybody. He doesn't know. You might see another minister is not. He's not very good at that. Okay, you you know, everybody's different, and it's perfectly natural that we uh, recognize that. Where we mess up is that we think we can put a value on that. We think we can look at that and say, now that is a real man of God because he does this. We think that's a real man of God because he does this. Or that man, can not he's not a real leader because he's weak in this. Everybody with me? See, we see the differences and we think we can value that. And what we do is we elevate this one above, this one above, this one above, this one. And this is where we have to be Careful, because what we do—it's okay to notice it. But what we do is we talk about it. It's okay to notice it; you can't help but notice it. But what we do is we run our mouths, and we get over there to Scooter and say, "Scooter, I, you know, I got. Have you noticed this? You know, I really like this about Pastor Henry, but he's really weak in this area. I think he could do. Everybody with me?" See, we start running our mouth. I think X is better than Y. No, I think think Y is better than X. Well, I think Z is better than both of them. And we start running our mouth, and that causes sectarianism. That causes people to, to line up. But see, what we have to understand is at the end of the day, only God knows them. Only God knows their work. Only God knows their motives for why they're doing what they're doing. You know, you think you know them, but you don't. You don't know them. You don't know their motives. You don't know what's going on in their heart. You don't know any of that. Only God knows their work and their ministry for what it really is. And God will reward it perfectly in accordance with what he knows, not with what you know. God's not going to come to you and say, what do you think about Henry? What, What should I know? God knows Henry. God knows Derek. God knows what's in our heart. We'll be rewarded for that one way or another, and we'll talk about that in just a second. So until then... You and I need to be very careful about how we boast and how we criticize. Let me say that again. We need to be very, it's okay to notice differences. You can't not notice differences. But we need to be very careful in how we boast in someone to other people and also how we criticize um, in other people. In fact, can I tell you, if it comes to pastors and teachers in this church, what you should do for them is pray. Pray for them. Because I'm going to tell you, they are going to be judged in a way that you are not. Let me say that again. Every pastor, every teacher is going to be judged in a way that, that you are not. Look at James 3.1. It says this, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Okay? I, I, you know, if you want to be a teacher, that's great. That's a, that's a worthy goal. But just understand that if you teach the Bible, you will be judged by God with greater strictness. Okay, He's going to hold you to a higher standard than he holds the person that you're, you're teaching. Look at Hebrews 13, 7, 13 17. Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls and they will be held accountable to God. Listen, folks. Do you understand something? If this this church board in this church, the elders of the pastor, if they see you doing something wrong, okay, let's say they see you make a mistake, they see you doing something that's against the Bible, do you understand that they will be held one day accountable for how they deal with that situation? They're accountable for your soul. That means if they sit there and they see that and they say, nah, I don't want to deal with that. It's just not worth the trouble. They're going to be held accountable for that. If they go to you and, say, and they say, hey, here's what the Bible says, and everybody with me? Understand, they're not doing it to get in your business. They're doing it because they're going to be held accountable for your soul. Now, I don't know about y'all, but to me, when I read those scriptures, that scares me. <laughs> As a teacher and as an elder in this church, it's, it's, that's a pretty big deal. I take that very seriously. Very seriously. So in the end, pastors and teachers and elders will be held accountable. They will give an account to God of how they handle the authority that's been given them. They will give an account of that. Listen, understanding how frightening that is, pray for them. Pray for me. Pray for anybody in this church that holds a position of authority. Because I'm telling you, in the end they're going to answer um, for, for, for what they do. So let's be careful how we boast and how we criticize. Paul says in verse 9, he moves on, For we are God's fellow workers. Now, I'll, I'll, don't make a mistake here. The Greek here, the Greek translation into English is a little bit misleading here, um, and it can be confusing. Paul is not saying that we are fellow workers with God like he's the third worker. That's not what Paul's saying in the Greek. Paul's not saying that me and Apollos are fellow workers with God. Like, God comes alongside of us and, and, and we're all working together. That's not what he means. What he means is that Apollos and I are fellow workers who belong to God. If you read it again, it says we are God's fellow workers. We're fellow workers, but we belong to God. In other words, the authority here is God's. The rule in the church is God. It's the same thing he's been, he's been talking about. So hopefully by now you can see what Paul is doing. He's showing that Christ should be at the center of the church. Every church should be God-centric, not man-centric. And he warns against any teachings or attitudes that detract from the centrality of Christ. Now, he, he wants to go on. He, remember, he's talking about Paul and Apollos. He's talking about ministers and teachers. And he says, okay, what about you? If you're just a member in the church, you're not an elder, you're not a pastor, you're not a teacher, what about you? What is your part to play in the church? Well, Paul says this, we are, fellow, we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, and you are God's building. Okay. Now, Paul is going to give two analogies here. I, I don't know what he's thinking. It would be really interesting to know Paul's mind. But sometimes Paul will start out one way and he'll just completely forget that thought and move on to something else. And it's like he did that here. He said, you are God's field. In other words, the idea here is a, is a, a picture of a grain field, right? Where God hires the workers. He hires some workers to come in and plant. He hires other workers to come in and, and water, right? So, but, but who's given the increase? God. Who owns the field? God. You know, who, who recruits the workers? God. Again, it's all about him. He's saying, you're the field. You're the one that's being planted in. You're the one that's being watered. You're the one that faith is growing in, faith is maturing in. So he starts off, he says, you're God's field. He don't say anything else about it. He just moves on. Immediately, he says, you are God's building. Now, this seems to pique his interest because when he says, you are God's building, he's going to go off and give us a bunch of details. So he's going to shift from that field picture ...to a building picture, and what he's going to do... is going to compare the church to a building. Now, the rest of the verses are all about this building. So let's read verses 10 through 17. So he says this, "...according to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ." Now, if anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each one's work will become known or manifest for the day, talking about the day of judgment, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on that foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, He will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Now, the first thing to notice, Paul says you are God's building, but he's not talking about any building. Okay, He's talking about a specific kind of building and the building he 's talking about is a temple or a church okay that 's the first thing that we need to notice in verse sixteen. Now Paul comes into Corinth and he preaches the message of the cross, and he lays the foundation for this church and he says, "I was like a, a skilled master builder. I laid the perfect foundation absolutely perfect this this foundation will hold up anything hey, I mean it's got you know I know scooter knows a lot about foundations you could build." You could build the Empire State Building on this foundation. It'll it'll hold anything you build on it. It is the absolute perfect foundation. But then he issues a warning. Now, this warning is to pastors and teachers and elders and people of authority. Okay, That's, That's who he's warning here. He said, let each one take care how you build on that foundation. In other words, I've come in, I've laid the foundation, and I've had to move on. Okay, I've had to go lay another foundation. You take care how you build on that foundation. Now, so he's, he's very concerned about how others carry on the work that he started. He laid a foundation like no other, Jesus Christ. And so he insists that the structure of the building that you put on that foundation matches the foundation. Has anybody... Sometimes you'll ride by... You ever ride by uh, construction sites where maybe they laid a foundation... And they started building, and they quit. You ever seen something like that? And, and you look at the foundation, and you think, man, that, it's ready. It's sitting there, it's ready. And then they either started and stopped, or it, it, the material, what's on top of it, doesn't match the foundation. Well, that's what Paul wants to avoid. Make sure what you build matches the, the foundation. And this is what it is. Whatever, Remember, the, Paul is all about, this is supposed to be what kind of church? A God-centric church. So anything that makes God the sinner, anything that lifts up Jesus, anything that glorifies Him, that's gold, that's silver, that's precious stones. Anything that doesn't do that, anything that lifts up man, anything that glorifies man, that's just wood, hay, and stubble. Okay, There are churches around this country that are built on wood, hay, and stubble. And I'm going to show you what happens when when you do that. So Paul is issued... Now, by the way, if you think you get out of this because you're not a pastor or you're not a, uh, a teacher or you're not an elder, you don't. Because what you need to understand is this warning is to pastors, is to Bible teachers, is to counselors, is to life group leaders, is to parents. Listen, if you're a parent, who else? Your kid gets saved. Who do you think is mainly responsible for building on that foundation? It's you. You're the parent. If you're a mentor, if you're a discipler, if you try to disciple anybody, maybe you just spend time with people on the side, discipling them and trying... Listen, that's you. You're building on the foundation that's already been laid. So Paul warns us there are three dangerous consequences of building with materials that don't match the foundation. Okay, there are three dangerous consequences of building with materials that don't keep in uh, with the greatness of Christ the foundation. Number one, the church itself will be injured. Look at verse 12 again. Paul says, If anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, each man's work will become known. For the day of judgment will disclose it because it will be revealed with fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. Listen, I've been teaching this, this Sunday school class now for, I don't know, seven years, eight years, nine years, I don't know how long I've been doing it. Um, one day, you you think you look at me do this, and you think you know me, right? You think, you either think I'm good, I'm bad, I, I, whatever you think about me, but you don't know me. You really don't know what's in my heart. One day, I'm going to stand before God, and he's going to test this class. He's going to test it with fire. That fire means judgment. And, and, and if I've done this out of, out of my own motives, because I want everybody to pat me on the back and say, man, what a great guy you are, it's going to be burned up. I get nothing for it. All the time I spent studying, all the time I spent doing, it's nothing. It just, it just burns up. Because I did it out of my own motives. I did it because I wanted people to say, look at Derek. But if I did it for him, and I spent my time doing it because I love Jesus, and because I want to see Jesus glorified and lifted up, that's gold, that's silver, that's precious stones, and I'll be rewarded greatly for that. It's the same with every one of you here. As a parent, as a mentor, as a discipler, if you're doing it to lift up Jesus because you love Jesus, because you want to be like Jesus, that's... That's precious stones, but if you're doing it for other motives and other reasons, it's just going to get that's wood, hay and stubble. It's, it's going to be burned up. that's what that's what Paul is is saying. In other words, if we build our church on doctrines and attitudes and actions that don't fit with the with the foundation of Christ, then the fire of judgment at the end of the world is going to burn up that wood, hay and stubble. and the church, by the way, will be lesser for it, won't it? You know, we, it will be lesser for it. And by the way, that's not what Jesus wants. Look at, look at Ephesians 5. When Paul, watch what Paul says when he's encouraging husbands to love their wives. This is what he says. Husbands, love your wives just like Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. We, he wants a church that's just absolutely beautiful, that's adorned with gold and silver and precious jewels. He doesn't want a church that comes to him and, with a bunch of wood, hay, and stubble. Have you ever seen a building that's, that's burned? I wanna, you know. By the way, when that building burns, that, that concrete foundation just sits there. It ain't moved. And that building that sits on it, some big thing, you know some things stand up and some things fall. is that what we want to present to him? No, We want to, we want to, we want to present a church that is, 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 is without spot and without blemish. Therefore, we and you, you and I need to labor to build the church that Christ wants, um, a church where our doctrines and attitudes and behaviors will come out of that fire uh, like gold and silver to the glory of, of Jesus Christ. The second thing he warns us about if we build on that foundation with wood, hay, and stubble is the builder's loss of reward. Look at verse 14. If the work which any man has built on the foundation survives, he'll receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Again, don't miss this. He's talking to Christians here. You understand that, folks? He's not talking about people that are not saved. What he's saying, in other words, it's possible to be a Christian and still go into a church and be a harmful teacher. You see that? It's possible to be a Christian, but to go into a church and be a harmful discipler, to be a harmful teacher, to teach attitudes and doctrines that in the end will hurt the people you're teaching and not help them. I mean, let's face it, Christians can be, they can love Jesus and still have a lot of, their, their doctrines can be just messed up. Right? They can have attitudinal blind spots. So all they can do is impart wood, hay, and stubble in their in their Christian service. By the way, let's be honest here. None of us will escape that chastisement. Because none of us are perfect. There I don't fool myself into think that I'm going to stand before God and everything I've ever done is all going to be gold and I mean I mean, listen, none of us are perfect. Okay? Um, but it should make us vigilant to know our Bible and to, and to live it well. Second 2 Timothy 2.15, I want you to look at one word here. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed. I mean, I think at one day there's going to be shame on the judgment day, even for Christians. When you look back and you realize that some of the things I did, I did not do for the right reasons. I didn't do them for the right motives. And they're just going to be burned up. And how, how can you not help but be ashamed for those, for those things? The last thing is destruction. First Corinthians 3.17 If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and that temple you are. This is an absolutely dreadful thing, and don't think it's hypothetical. It's happening all over America today. Some of the great denominations... Of our country are being destroyed, absolutely destroyed. Presbyterianism, Methodist, Methodist, the the, uh, the 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 list goes on and on. Churches and denominations that were built on a great foundation are crumbling, absolutely crumbling. New England, if you go back in American history, I, I like to read. Uh, uh, history books. I like to read about Christian leaders like um, uh, Jonathan Edwards that was that lived back in the 1700s. Lived New England was the cradle of Christianity. When the when the Puritans came over from England, they settled in New England. They settled in in those areas up there. It was the cradle of Christianity. And if you want to go find some places where the doctrine was was it was just dead on good, it was dead on right. They built great churches up there. But what happened over the years? as pastors begin to come come in with liberal views and unitarian views and they didn't they didn't announce themselves they just very very slowly started to build in wood and hay and stubble into these churches and what happens this is what happens to a church we can be here one day and we can be building and our doctrine can be good our doctrine can be right and, and Scooter, uh, I know Scooter uh, at one time laid block. And Scooter, if, if any of you here have ever tried the laid block, I've tried it a couple times. And when you're really good, right, you, you build it and it goes what? It goes straight up. But then there's people like me that build it and it starts getting off. And it's a little bit when you start, right? And it's no problem. But the more you build, that little bit, and then one day what eventually happens? It just, it just crumbles. That's exactly what's happened in New England. You see, they didn't keep, they didn't plumb up with the foundation. Their doctrine didn't plumb with the doctrine of Jesus Christ, and they built wood, and they built hay, and they built stubble. And over time, those structures have just crumbled, and they're they're continuing to uh, to crumble. You see, there's two ways you can destroy a church. One is just to attack the foundation. That's one way to do it. But the other way to do it is very slowly very methodically build a structure that's out of plumb with the foundation. And one day you look up and you're over here and the foundation is over there. You're, you're not even on the foundation anymore. That's exactly what's happened to some of the great denominations in America. We cannot let that happen here. We will not let that happen here. Okay, We will hold ourselves accountable to the foundation. We will build and plumb with the foundation, not just for me, but for my children, for my grandchildren, for my great-grandchildren, for your great-grandchildren. We're, we're going to do it uh, right. If a pa- see, if a pastor or a teacher or an elder does that, by the way, he says, if you destroy my temple, I will destroy you. That destroy means annihilation. He says, you destroy my temple, I'll destroy. That's, that's a sharp, sharp warning to pastors and elders and teachers and mentors and disciples, make sure your doctrine, make sure your teaching, that what you build is in plumb, in line with the foundation of Jesus Christ. I want to give you four applications and then we'll close here. What are the applications for River of Life? Number one, we need to be vigilant to keep Jesus Christ as the foundation of our church. We need to be vigilant to keep Jesus Christ. If someone comes in and they're teaching something that's out of line... With well, that foundation, they're, they're gone. We need to get rid of that. I'm not saying we got to, they don't teach, I, I don't know if we throw them out of the church, but they don't teach anymore. That's Pastor Henry's job, whether he throws them out of the church, but they don't teach anymore. Okay, we got to be vigilant to build and plumb with that uh, foundation. Number two, let's make sure that the building blocks of our doctrine follow the beautiful contours of our foundation and we don't try to go off and build some little porch over here on our own. Right Again, same thing. Stay on the foundation. Stay in plumb with the foundation. Number three, let's take the attitudes of our church and set them down on the lines of the foundation and make sure we see where we're off base. As an individual, you need to compare your life against that foundation. And the things that I'm teaching and the things that in my own home, the things that I'm living, are they in line with that uh, foundation? Do I need to be corrected in, in any way? And number four, Let's bring all of our ministries, all of our building plans, all of our financial goals, everything in this church, and lay them like a transparency over that foundation and make sure they line up. Does our goals in this church financially and building-wise, do they line up with the foundation of, of, of Jesus Christ? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Corinthians as we always do.